You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for August 2nd, 2020, the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Susan File. It's based on Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 31. This morning, we gathered together around a theological campfire to tell stories about Jacob. These stories are known as the Jacob Cycle and may be studied in Genesis from chapter 25 up into 36, verse 43. In particular, we will explore the mystery of Jacob wrestling with the man at Jabbok Ford. In just 10 verses, Jacob wrestles, limps, is transformed, known and named. And I want to credit Alison Grusecki with that synthesis of those words which has made the um, culmination of a week of hard work somehow make a lot more sense. It was wonderful to have email with her. We will be tempted to domesticate this narrative, to make it more manageable, to figure it out, to settle it once and for all. Who is really the man wrestling with Jacob? Perhaps Jacob's mysterious opponent is an angel with massive wings, as in Rembrandt's great painting, 1660 to 1661. And I've brought a book to show you, and hopefully you will be able to see it on your screens. It's actually in Berlin, and it is not a large painting, probably three and a half, maybe by four and a half feet. Or perhaps the opponent is the hidden God who will not tell us a name. If so, does the mysterious presence without a name represent the God of Israel? The great challenge before us will be to remember what Gerhard von Rad says, here it is shown how God can be so profoundly hidden even from those who are called in fact, precisely from them, that they are no longer sure whether they have been delivered into the hands of God or handed over to the malice of an utterly nameless power. The cycle of stories about Jacob's life gives us a plumb line for our own lives and may remind us of our own turning points in our own faith journeys where we have wrestled with our faith, where we were wounded, limping possibly like Nouwen's wounded healers, where we were irrevocably changed, transformed. Let me give a bit of background for this story so that we can put the pieces together and make sense of it. Jacob's first encounter with God was experienced in a dream. The dream could take place at Bethel, Bethel is north of Bathsheba on the way to Haran, the original home of Abraham. And looking at ancient maps and contemporary maps, my guess is that Haran is in northern Syria, and I can't really find a town exactly that might be a replicate of that ancient biblical town area, but we know that it is in Syria. After receiving the patriarchal blessing from his father Isaac, Jacob went from his home in Beersheba, which is below Jerusalem, 
to his uncle Laban's home in Haran in the north to follow the instructions of his mother to find a wife. Rebecca said, please find a wife among our family and friends with Laban. So one night along this journey, and it's quite a long journey, he went into a dream. How the dream came to him is still a mystery. But in the dream, the angels ascended and descended on a ladder, or according to some scholars, a ramp, depending on whose work you're reading. And the identity of God was unmistakable and clarified with these words. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Jacob awoke and exclaimed, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. So he set up a pillar and anointed it to mark the place and named the place Bethel, which means house of God. Continuing the journey after the dream, Jacob arrived at the house of his uncle Laban in Haran and met and fell in love with Rachel. Jacob was initially tricked by Laban to marry Leah before he married Rachel. So now, fast forward to our narrative today. We enter the story 20 years later. Jacob has faithfully served his uncle Laban. Two decades of hard labor, but Jacob has become very successful. Now, God has called Jacob to return from Haran in the north to his home in the south, and he will eventually reside in Bethel. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your ancestors, to your kindred, and I will be with you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and return to the land of your birth. Now, when we are leaving a place where we have been 20 years, it's a good idea to let people know, I shall be leaving this week on Wednesday or Thursday, and thank you so much for all that we have shared. Jacob did not tell Laban that he was leaving. Laban was furious. He found his daughters gone, their children, his grandchildren, and household idols that Rachel had taken from her father. So Laban traveled looking for Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Now amazingly, when Jacob and Laban did meet, they were able to reconcile their conflict and neither would hold the other accountable for any past breaches of trust. So Jacob continued on his journey south as Laban traveled back to Haran. But wait, we all know something's missing. Something important has been left out of this narrative. How are we going to reconcile one of the strands of the narrative? We all know when Jacob was blessed by Isaac, he received a blessing that was intended for Esau. At least according to some scholars, Esau should have had it, or perhaps not. But the idea is that Esau was furious, angry that he had been tricked out of the blessing. So reconciliation with Laban gives us a sneak preview of another anticipated reunion. 
this time with Jacob's brother Esau. Jacob had prepared a substantial peace offering for Esau, but Esau was ready to meet Jacob, he was told, with 400 men. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Jacob prayed to God, and part of his prayer anticipated this encounter. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. Jacob crossed Jobek Ford, which is a tributary of the River Jordan, with his family and sent all of them, including herds, ahead of him, anticipating Esau would become more willing to meet him if an offering preceded him. Now we enter our story. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking, but Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Wrestling, the first of our ideas today to continue uh, a way of understanding this text in a very powerful way. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. The stark quality of this image introduces many questions for us. What would be the advantage of Jacob managing to separate himself from all his support systems, leaving him so vulnerable to the unknown forces in the middle of the night? Now, this is a struggle that Jacob has to go through entirely alone, one in which no gifts will help him to change his adversary's attitude, according to Von Rod. How do we interpret this struggle? Was it real or imagined? Yet, it is so vivid that we can all identify with it. Jacob suffered pain in the dislocation of his hip. So, it wasn't imagined. Jacob would be forever changed physically because of his engagement with the man. And in spite of the pain, he was now feeling courageously compelled to continue to hold on to him and demanded a blessing from him. What would make Jacob ask that? Was the blessing Jacob wanted from this struggle a way of strengthening him? so that he could go to any lengths to make amends with his brother Esau? Two decades before, we remember the story with Rebecca's help, Jacob had been enabled to contrive a way to win a blessing from his aging father, Isaac, that could or should, or maybe, maybe not, we don't know, many ways to interpret it, could have gone to the oldest child, Esau. Now, two decades later, as a man in middle age, Jacob was afraid of the consequences of this action from long ago. He was running out of time and be sure he would stand face to face with Esau in only a day or so. In the midnight struggle with the man, Jacob knew he could not afford to lose this confrontation, even though he was in pain. He would not let the man go until Jacob would bless him. Jacob would receive this blessing. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. 
And then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Jacob's anguished apprehensions before meeting Esau had now resulted in Jacob, who was limping, and in a sense, he was broken, yet he was stronger. And the same scholar says, this diminished Jacob is paradoxically more complete. Jacob's blessing was now being known and named. So we've gone from the wrestling to the limping. Think of this. This new name, Israel, meant for Jacob, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Jacob suffered a disability in the encounter. He was limping, yet nonetheless was aware that this night changed his life forever. And so he called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. When daybreak came, Jacob was a different person than the one who had stolen his brother's blessing decades before. His limping could be a metaphor for a change of character. The formerly self-assured and successful Jacob was now diminished in appearance, no longer the proud, purposeful strides, but walked with a hesitant limp. Will he then greet his brother this way? How was the struggle necessary to prepare for a meeting with Esau? Transformation. Now see the transformation as Jacob and Esau had a remarkable reunion together. Jacob was astonished at Esau's welcome. Jacob himself had gone ahead, was bowing to Esau, anticipating his fury. He bowed seven times until the brother came near. And Esau ran to greet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Before the two brothers parted after their reunion, Jacob was still stunned at the reception he had just experienced. And he exclaimed, why should my Lord, meaning Esau, be so kind to me? Now hold together in your mind a both-and paradigm. Two stories, Jacob's encounter with God, the first at Bethel, where Jacob dreamt of a ladder on which angels ascended and descended. Remember, God had promised Jacob, know that I am with you and you will know that I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's very clear, God is there. In the second narrative, both and, remember, they're both true. We witness Jacob struggling by himself, alone in a deserted place with a man or an angel or a hidden God. Both vignettes are expressive of ways we may experience our understanding of God's work in our lives. Being known and named, we become known and named by God over a lifetime. Just as Jacob was known and given a new name, Israel, Jacob's journey before and after Haran contained a lifespan of experience moving through youth, middle age, 
And now, finally, Jacob was older and would prepare to settle down once and for all near Bethel. Jacob knew and named the place, again, being known and named, knew and named the place where he wrestled all night, Peniel. Jacob called the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Soon Jacob's last child would be born. He would lose his beloved wife, Rachel, in childbirth. I believe God must have been there to hold on to Jacob through the night of wrestling with his grief for Rachel, and it must have felt like being back at Jabbok Ford. Wrestling, limping, transformation bring all of this together now for our life today. Images of Jacob wrestling in the night with the man who refuses to identify himself gives us an image to ponder as we move through these very difficult times of expanded awareness about a worldwide pandemic. Some of us may be wrestling within ourselves about how to accept the wounding loss of a loved one. Others may be struggling with non-death, ambiguous losses, like the loss of a familiar lifestyle and a daily routine. We may take comfort in knowing that we don't have all the answers, and we may not even be able to know which questions to ask. Many of us have had to wrestle within ourselves about regaining a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging to others through these last five months. The spirit of uncertainty that we live with daily both strengthens and it humbles us. But we continue to learn as we grow older, like Jacob, that we are never alone, although we may feel that way sometimes. In a moment, we will celebrate Holy Communion to help us remember how to embrace the profound fullness of our faith when we ourselves feel empty and just barely able to limp forward. Though we wrestle with our faith, let us always remember God's enduring presence with us, as God was with Jacob at Bethel. And these words to close our thinking this morning, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.